welcome to the Scripture Study Project, a fresh and faithful study of the scriptures that will renew your excitement for your own personal study and help you passionately teach what you're learning to others. I'm Krista, and I'm here with my misophonia-infected husband, Zach. This is an actual real thing that I read on the internet, the source of all truth. There's a disease called misophonia where you can't tune out sensory input. And if anyone's ever sat with me at dinner time and know how uh, particular I am about mouth noises and chewing noises, then you know this is true. And so I get really particular about the sounds on our podcast as well. Yes, which I guess is a great thing because hopefully the sound quality is okay. But I tell him, I'm like, oh, it sounds just fine. But his condition... It has actually helped our marriage that you know about this, but this is the thing. Welcome to our marriage therapy (laughs) session. (laughs) Anyway, that was a large tangent, but maybe someone out there is also has misophonia and now you will have your problem solved. Okay. We are in episode 15 and talking about something much more important. This is episode 15 and we are studying in Enos through Omni. And I am really excited about what we're studying today. Yeah. Uh, these chapters, we're going to kind of depart from the last couple of chapters where we've covered big swaths of Scripture. And in this one, we're going to focus in on just one chapter. To begin, our study tip is a very simple one, but one that I think we overlook. And the tip is to mark your Scriptures. A couple of years ago, and he's given this in many different places, But Elder Bednar has given this talk called A Reservoir of Living Water. And in that talk, he mentions this. There are three ways to draw living water from the scriptures. The first is by reading the scriptures from beginning to end. The second is by studying the scriptures by topic. The third is searching the scriptures for connections, patterns, and themes. And a lot of times, marking scriptures fits in that third category as we're looking for connections, patterns, and themes, whether it's using different colors, whether it's drawing lines between verses, or as you'll see in this episode here, highlighting patterns that you notice or commonalities in the text that help you see what the author always may be intending you to see. There's been a few times that I have done these deliberate guided studies, I guess you could call them, and many of you have probably done this, where you have read through the Book of Mormon or other books of Scripture with a specific purpose. I know one time I highlighted all the way through the Book of Mormon with anything that was words of God or words of a prophet, or maybe you're highlighting what reading through anything that's said about faith in certain colors. I just think there is so much beauty to be found when you're focusing in on certain things. And so this doesn't, there doesn't have to be any specific thing you're doing it for, but just to be deliberate in your study in that, in some form, whether it's mentions of of Jesus Christ or, or prayer or however you're doing it, but that deliberate study and showing God that you are that deliberate that you're going to go through and mark, I think can be really powerful. There's almost something divine about putting pen or pencil or highlighter to paper as if you're showing God that you're serious about this, that this study means something to you. 
And so we don't have a specific marking scheme that we advocate. We both use different things and at different times, but we do advocate that you mark in your personal study. And then when you teach, that you invite others to mark their scriptures as well. Now, this is a tricky balance because, of course, you can't mandate what they write because then you remove from them the wonderful wrestle of receiving revelation and drawing living water from the scriptures. But it's also leaving a lot on the table to just assume that they're going to remember the things that they find in the scriptures or that they'll mark it at some later point. And so as a teacher, you want to invite people to mark their scriptures, give them maybe something to look for, but don't give them specific schemes or colors. Or, or I'd even say specific verses. Right. Because I think then it loses its power. Then they just have a bunch of things highlighted. Yeah, that's Or as point. a seminary student, I swear there was a couple of days where I just marked the entire page. So I'm like, oh, it's scripture. It's all good. <laughs> it's all good. But with that, we also wanted to add in the beauty of um, digital markings. Don't forget to use those in your teaching and in your own study. There's so much you can do with it. And I know sometimes it gets bashed on in reading. Oh, reading from your phone isn't as good. You can't mark. But there are also a lot of connections, a lot of footnotes, a lot of things that you can connect to in your gospel, in your gospel study, in your library that will be saved too. That's the other cool part about yeah. that. I have a, a very emerging testimony of this. This might sound heretical almost, but I've been a paper scripture guy for my entire life. And just within the last year have become a pretty strong convert to digital scriptures. Now I still have my paper scriptures that I love and I study and that serves a purpose. But I love the idea that when I mark my digital scriptures, it's a, it's transferable or synced across all my devices. I like that I can alter those markings. I like a lot that I can tag my notes and put them in a notebook. I feel like I'm building this portfolio of scripture study and there's a lot of value in that. I feel like I'm creating rather than just marking. Yeah, and that could be a great way. I'm thinking of, you know, if you teach a youth Sunday school class, um, take 10 minutes or a little bit more and teach teach about that. Or maybe have the students teach you about how to digitally mark your scriptures because there is value in that as well. Okay. Well, Enos is the son of Jacob. And he mentions that in the very first verse he repeats. And I think we mentioned this in a previous episode, but Enos hearkens to the words of his father just as Nephi mentions hearkening to the words of his father, and just as coming prophets will do the same thing. Uh, but the story is that we're familiar with. Enos goes into the wilderness to pray and to receive, as he hopes, forgiveness for his sins. We want to focus on that prayer and draw some principles from it, from it and maybe to frame our discussion at the end of the chapter this is what Enos says, and I believe these are the fruits of meaningful prayer. Verse 27, I soon go to the place of my rest, which is with my Redeemer, for I know that in him I shall rest. Now here's the part I like. And I rejoice in the day when my mortal shall put on immortality and shall stand before him. Then I shall see his face with pleasure. And he will say to me, come unto me, ye blessed, there is a place prepared for you in the mansions of my father. Three outcomes that Enos mentions. The first is rest. 
the second rejoicing, and the third pleasure. And I think maybe a way to frame the study is prayer is meant to bring those three things, rest, rejoicing, and pleasure. And if you're not getting rest and rejoicing and pleasure from your scripture study, if I may be so bold, I think you're doing it wrong. Well, and I like this too, because it's almost like through this, you know, Enos talks about prayer through this whole chapter and what he experienced. And then here he is kind of saying these three words. It's almost like he's felt these in little bits mm. in his, through prayer and through his connection to God, that here he is so excited because of those things, that here he is looking toward toward the end for mm. those things. I yeah. really like that. President Hinckley has once said, the trouble with most of our prayers is that we give them as if we were picking up the telephone and ordering groceries. We place our order and hang up. And you think of your most recent prayer, does it fit that category? Was it of the of the variety of, dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this day, thank you for my many blessings, thank you for everything you've given me, ask for this, ask for this, ask for this, in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Not that that's bad. I am not one to diminish anyone's efforts to talk to God. But I think there's a lot more power that can be had. And so our study today in Enos is, how does Enos pray? What is it about his prayer that enables him at the end of the chapter to say he felt rest, he felt joy, and he felt pleasure? So I think we have to start off first in verse 3 and talk about what Enos is doing. It says in verse 3, Behold, I went to hunt beasts in the forests. And the words which I had often heard my father speak concerning eternal life, there he is mentioning what we talked about, what his father Mm. taught him, and the joy of the saints sunk deep into my heart, and my soul hungered, and I kneeled down before my maker, and I cried unto him in mighty prayer and supplication. So what was he doing? He hadn't gone out for a specific purpose to find prayer and to do this, but he was on it was a normal day. He was ready to go get food for himself and his family. He's going to work. Yeah, right. he's he's at work. I taught a couple of years ago with someone I considered to be a really good friend and an incredible mentor, Matt Rasmussen, who now teaches Institute at Southern Virginia University. Just yesterday, I found a devotional given by him where he pointed this detail out about Joseph Smith's first vision. There are multiple accounts of Joseph Smith's first vision, um, which you would expect from any story. He quotes them to different people, and in each recitation or in each recording of it, there are some details that emerge that aren't in the other uh, recordings. In one of them that he wrote in 1843, or that a journalist wrote in 1843, Joseph mentions that after reading James 1.5, he goes to what we call the sacred grove. But in this account, he identifies it as a place where his family was currently working, felling trees to create additional farming land. In fact, he was as specific to say he went to the stump where his axe was buried. And it was next to that stump with the buried axe that Joseph knelt and offered this prayer. This grove that we call sacred wasn't sacred yet. It became sacred by the presence of God. But to Joseph, this is his place of work. This is where he labors. He didn't seek out the mountaintop or he didn't seek out the quiet place 
necessarily. He sought the place where he was working. And I think there's a lot of power in saying that, of course, there are prayers to be had in temples and in church buildings and on our own private moments, and they're wonderful and beautiful. But there are also prayers to be had in the middle of everything, in the middle of the workday, on our way to, on our way from, or uh, buried under, as it were, the day that we're going through. Yeah, and I, I, I want to just I feel like this is one of those really important points that we need to talk about. I love that thinking of that, of um, on your way to work, in your duties, um, and thinking about that God really cares about whatever stage we are in. If you are feeling bogged down because you're in the throes of motherhood, of not sleeping well because you have young kids, or you're not sleeping well because you have college papers to write and you're studying nonstop all night and maybe you're feeling burdened down by those things and you think I don't have time I don't have time to connect to God right now I don't have time to pray but I think the message here is so powerful God works through us while we are doing work and his work Mm. I think of motherhood especially what what a great um what greater teacher can we have when we're feeling burdened And when we're feeling tired, then God saying, no, I'm going to give you power because you prayed to me and you are doing my work because you are raising kids or you are doing my work because you are getting an education that is going to further your entire life and bless other people. He cares about what we're doing. And I just love this because I think sometimes we miss this point. And I've been taught it just recently. That's maybe why I'm feeling maybe overpassionate about it. But I think that's so important to remember that he is with us no matter what we're doing. And if we are calling on him during our work, that our work becomes his work because he wants to be there to help us. Don't pull your ax out of the stump because you want to have a spiritual experience. Leave it there and kneel down next to it and pray in the midst of it all. Yes. Uh, Proceeding verse 3 Enos uses a couple of interesting verbs to describe prayer. Now, he does say prayer in there, but he uses these words, and I like them, and you've maybe marked these in your scriptures as well. But in verse 2, I will tell you the wrestle I had before God before I received a remission of my sins. In verse 10, I was thus struggling in the Spirit. Verse 12, it came to pass that after I had prayed and labored with all diligence... Uh, the Bible dictionary definition of prayer is a famous one where prayer is equated to a form of spiritual work. It isn't the act of me petitioning God to change his will. It is the wrestling act of me bringing my will into alignment with his will. Hence the wrestle, hence the labor, and hence the work. I am not God. I need to change to become like him. And prayer is the vehicle for that change. Enos illustrates this wrestle in his recounting of the prayer. I love perhaps this record of prayer more than just about any others in the scriptures. A, because it comes from a humble man who's out hunting beasts, and B, because of what he illustrates about prayer. So this is where the scripture study tip of marking comes in. Uh, And maybe this isn't the best because I did actually, when I did this originally, I did mark the whole verse. But I wanted to see this. I took two different colors and I just marked every verse where Enos was speaking 
and then in a different color, I marked every verse where God was speaking. And so, for example, in verse 4, I cried unto him in mighty prayer and supplication for my own soul. So I marked that in one color, say blue. In verse 5, there came a voice unto me, saying, Enos, thy sins are forgiven, thou shalt be blessed. I marked that in a separate color, say red. Verse 6, blue. I, Enos, knew that God could not lie, wherefore my guilt was swept away, and I said, Lord, how is it done? Verse 8, red. Because of thy faith in Christ. Verse 9, I began to feel a desire for the welfare of my brethren, wherefore I did pour out my soul unto God for them. Verse 10, red. While I was struggling, the voice of the Lord came into my mind again, saying, I will visit thy brethren according to thy diligence. Do you notice the pattern? Enos starts, God answers. Enos prays again, God answers. Enos questions, God answers. God instructs, Enos responds. This prayer between Enos and God was communication at its finest. And to apply that in our lives, it's a principle of interpersonal relationships. You've heard your father say this, right? You have two ears and one mouth for a reason. You want to make a good relationship with someone, you listen to them more than you talk to them. Stands to reason then that if we want to build a strong relationship with God, we should listen more than we talk. And I don't know if we ever do that. President Hinckley, to finish that quote I mentioned from earlier, says, we need to meditate, contemplate, and think of what we are praying about and for. And I don't think we can leave those some of those points without um, talking about the wrestle. I know that's kind of the the famous or the most quoted part of this, but I couldn't help but think about Sherry Dew's talk and her book um, about wrestling with with deep with hard questions. And you know, I think sometimes we think. The wrestle is with the hard questions, especially in the form that Sherry Dew's talking about. But the wrestle that he goes through is this communication and this, these prayers. And how interesting that is to think about that every question we have, we should be asking God. Mm-hmm. That's the real wrestle is coming to God in humility and seeking for his answers. And it is a wrestle mm-hmm. because there's so much that goes into it. We struggle, we labor, we, I was looking, thinking as Zach was talking about the struggling was, um, a lot of times it's a struggle to listen, mm-hmm. right? That's probably the re- main reason we, we struggle. But anyway, her, um, one of the quotes that I just wanted to read from, from her talk says, spiritual wrestlers are seekers. They are men and women of faith who want to understand more than they presently do and who are serious about increasing the light and knowledge in their lives. When we wrestle, when we seek, when we labor, and when we work, that's when revelation comes. Which brings us to our next point about that revelation and finding out how to receive revelation. We talk about that a lot, but... Um, it can be another struggle. How do we really understand if God is talking to me and how he talks to me? Um, and Enos says this a few times. He says, and there came a voice unto me. Um, he talks again about the voice a few times. The voice of the Lord came into my mind. And in one of those footnotes, it actually corresponds directly to um, and says Revelation. And I couldn't help but think that we are seeking for God's voice when we pray. We want to hear him and we want to listen to him. 
and we want to know what he's telling us, but how do we do that? And I think that's an individual quest for all of us is how does God speak to me? Um, and I love these. I've always loved these when thinking about the spirit and how the spirit reveals revelation to us. And this is in Helaman chapter five that I just, um, had to briefly read from. And it came to pass when they heard this voice and beheld that it was not a voice of thunder, neither was it a voice of great tumultuous noise, but behold, it was a still voice of perfect mildness, as if it had been a whisper, and it did pierce even to the very soul. And then on further down in verse 33, it says, The voice came and did speak unto them marvelous words which cannot be uttered by man and the walls did tremble i love this because it explains the spirit in such a good way and i know that those of you who are seeking for this and have felt these moments of god speaking to your heart that you know that you have felt him but you really can't really explain it or like he says here they can't be uttered by man because there's no way to explain that real connection that you can feel with God. And I know that you can feel it because I felt it. And I think that's why those verses just really speak to me. And I think they can speak to all of us that we can hear his voice and it's going to feel a little different for everyone. And we're going to have to seek and wrestle to figure out how he's speaking to us. But that as we do, that revelation will come to us. And I like that there are common denominators. Even though the Spirit speaks differently to each of us and in different ways, a voice of perfect mildness seems mm-hmm. to be a common denominator. Um, we have this discussion quite often of, <laughs> is this fear or this doubt that I'm feeling, does that come from God or not? How do I know if it comes from God? And one thing I've always clung to in my life is that God does not motivate by fear or doubt. Um, He motivates by peace or by prompting. And there is a very different thing in feeling a fear of something or feeling a prompting to do something different. The peace and the prompting are those voices of perfect mildness, whereas fear and doubt cause tumult and cause stress and anxiety and spiritual fractures. And maybe if you're looking for more study on that, I don't think it's any coincidence that we need the guidance. I think there were three general conferences, at least two of the brethren spoke about the Holy Ghost in, mm-hmm. in last general conference. Mm-hmm. So read those and and feel that perfect mildness. The last point we want to bring up, and this is one that um, I've just discovered recently. Verse 12 you know the threefold uh, mission of Enos' prayer. He first prays for his own sins. God forgives them. He then prays uh, that God will bless his brethren, the Nephites, and God responds to that as well. Then he prays for this in verse 12. It came to pass that after I had prayed and labored with all diligence, the Lord said unto me, I will grant unto thee according to thy desires because of thy faith. And now behold, this was the desire which I had desired of him, that it should be so, that if it should be that my people, the Nephites, should fall into transgression by any means destroyed, that the Lamanites should not be destroyed, and that the Lord God would preserve a record of my people and eventually bring the Lamanites 
to the gospel. God promises him that will happen. And so it's no surprise then that Enos, being the person he does, starting in verse 20, he and others go out and they start to proselyte the Lamanites. They start to preach to them. However, it doesn't work. The Words of Mormon mentions something uh, similar, that there are multiple missions to the Lamanites and they don't work. In fact, the mission to the Lamanites that works won't happen until the uh, the sons of Mosiah and their mission, uh, which happens 90 to 77 years before, about 77 years before the coming of Christ, almost 350 years after Enos prays this prayer. Our country isn't even 350 years old yet. And here Enos is asking for something. God says, I will give it to you but somewhat parenthetically saying, it's not going to happen for 350 years. And as I thought that, I realized one of those wrestles that prayer takes is patience. And if you're listening to this, you are most likely well acquainted with the patience that prayer takes. While God always listens, and while he always answers, a lot of times if the answer isn't yes, and if it's not no, Many times the answer is not yet, and maybe not for a while. And another principle that goes right along with that is that what we talk about a lot, that piece by piece, that line upon line, that um, sometimes God has to teach us in small, small ways before we can learn the big things. Um, and when we're talking about 350 years, this kind of sounds not as cool. <laughs> but I was just thinking of an experience that I had about three or four years ago. I felt like I had a big question. I had a big answer that I wanted to get. And I didn't know what this, I didn't really have any specific um, thing in mind how I would get this answer. But now as I look back um, on that question that I had, I realized that God has very slowly given me answers. It didn't, and I'm, I'm still getting them. But um, I look back and I think I had to receive that little answer in order to be prepared for this next one. And then he made me see these other two things and realize these before I could get the bigger answer because I would not have been ready for the big answer without having learned the smaller things first. Sometimes we have to learn small things in order to receive the greater truth. I wanted to turn to this scripture in Doctrine and Covenants 4261. If thou shalt ask, thou shalt receive revelation upon revelation, knowledge upon knowledge, that thou mayest know the mysteries and peaceable things, that which bringeth joy, that which bringeth life eternal. And maybe we can add to what we were talking about from Enos, that that brings rest, that which brings joy and pleasure, that when we can look back on those moments and say, I got an answer, that is those moments where we think we can trust God and where we know that he is there to teach us. It's not perfect, but it does take practice. And the more you practice at prayer, the more you can sense God's proximity to you. He's always there. But prayer is the effort, it's the wrestle, it's the labor by which we draw ourselves to him. 
So don't pull your ax out of the stump. Pray where you are, when you are, in the very moment that you need it. That's when God wants you to talk to him. Engage in the wrestle. Be willing to talk, yes, but be even more willing to listen, to pause, and to introduce some silence into your prayer. Listen for that voice of perfect mildness and be oh so patient. We believe with our hearts that God is on the other end of that prayer line, that he listens and that he cares. And our invitation to you at the end of this episode is to try something different today, now, in the next couple of minutes or this evening when you pray, and see what it does for you. And if it works, if you try something different, and you would be willing to share, share it with us. Uh, Share it with comment on uh, our Facebook or Instagram or uh, email us. We would love to hear how this works for you because it has worked many, many times for us. Thank you so much for being with us. Thanks for tuning in this episode. Uh, It's been a great study and we hope it has been for you and we will see you next episode.